So our first ad today is from Thor. Hey there, fellow caller. What I'm going to share with you now is one of many Thor, please keep me anonymous, but LinkedIn messages that I've received since the world went mad in March 2020. This message is from a director of an energy services business who went on to engage me in developing his team's strategic presentation capability. Thor, he begins, I've watched and read your posts. I think you're about as spot on for a non-brainwashed dummy as a regular soul can be. We're being hoaxed daily. I cannot often like comment because the world has indeed been hoaxed and I still need to work closely with guys who are absolutely lost. End quote. If you or your business might benefit from an advisor who's very much not brainwashed, someone who will help you create a positive mental framework and then take useful action, no matter how lost the world may be, let's talk. The first step is to connect with me, Thor, on linkedin.com slash in slash Thor Holt or WhatsApp me on plus four four seven nine zero six three two one five nine three. That's plus four four seven nine zero six three two one five nine three. Skull PS please do connect even if you don't need my services because I'd like to stay in touch with you, my fellow London caller. LinkedIn.com slash in slash Thorholt. This is London Calling. London Calling. We we've made decisions and I've made decisions based on a real passion about what the BBC is. And it's difficult. It's this balance between free speech and impartiality. And I, I honestly do not believe, despite a lot of the commentary, that this is about left or right. Welcome to London Calling with me, James Delicott, and my very good friend, Mr. Toby Young. Tobes, you've come back from lunch at the Old Bailey late obviously as usual blaming blaming the tube i i i reckon you were just drinking with some barrister or something what were you doing at the um, old bailey i it was um so the old bailey have lunches from time to time um to which they invite various interesting guests um so we can um talk to the judges and take their minds off um the trials they've just been hearing um, so they have to deal with the worst of humanity. I think something like um, 75%, if not more, of the trials held at the Old Bailey, which is the most senior criminal court, I think in the United Kingdom, possibly in England and Wales, 75% are murder cases. So these poor judges are um, wading through um, uh, these um, pretty appalling cases confronting humanity at its worst and the idea is at these lunches you provide them with a bit of light relief you take their minds off the grisly details that they've just heard in their courtrooms well that's 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 a blow you see so, so you've come off a grisly murder trial and suddenly you're faced with this bald geezer uh wittering on about his wittering on cuckishly about his half-baked views that's that's traumatizing toby that's not that's not fair who, yeah, who, I, I, who yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure um, whether whether I personally served the therapeutic role no. that the person who invited me had in mind. Uh, but it's yeah. certainly very interesting. And we had a tour of the Bailey afterwards, and we learned a little bit of its history. And the judges are certainly very interesting to talk to. Um, and it's the second time I've I've done it actually. Uh, and this time it was. Um, I took some people from the Free Speech Union with me, and some of our legal um, people on our legal advisory council, and we had a little sort of discussion beforehand about free speech and the law which was very interesting um anyway i got I, I was hoping i would be back in time um to start this podcast by 3 30 um but um i the elizabeth line wasn't running properly i mean the problem with the elizabeth line which is the newest addition to transport for london's uh, transportation network is it's fantastic when it's running but because it's run by tfl um, it encounters all the usual problems, delays, strikes, um, failure on the line, stations closed. I mean, and, and so um, it, it just you just couldn't get the Elizabeth line to um, Acton Main Line near where I live, which usually takes about, you know, 20 minutes from Liverpool Street at most. So instead, I had to go this very circuitous route and I got off 
the central line at East Acton and uh, and then jumped on a line bike, hoping I would make it by quarter to four. But then the line bike actually stopped working. I was sort of cycling along and, and suddenly it sort of, even though it looked fully charged, it, it wasn't working properly. And it then became, I started being overtaken and I was trying to cycle up this hill by all these ladies on sort of step through bicycles. And I realised something must be wrong. Um, and uh, and so I just had to abandon the bike and, and sort of jog home, which is why I'm so late. So sorry about that, James. Yeah, you're not sounding like a very good advertisement for London living tapes. So this is all by design, by the way. This is all the evil Sadiq Khan trying to immiserate the entire populace of of our great, formerly great metropolis. It's it, this is this is where everything is going. It's entropy, entropy by design. We can we can talk about the, um, the I think it's S- SVB in a moment, but but um, I what. Well, since we're, since we're talking about sort of domestic tragedies, let, you t- let me tell you about mine. I've, since my days hunting, I've just been feeling really, really rotten. I've been paying the price for, for you know, all that adrenaline and alcohol. And I've, I've got the lurgy. And I think about middle of last week, I decided to make myself some chicken soup. Um, because, you know, I thought Jewish penicillin and all that. And uh, so, well, I made myself this, this um stock in the slow cooker and it was very good by the way i felt fantastic afterwards it was really it was really worth it in that respect but how did you make the stock by by boiling up chicken bones no you don't boil never ever boil If, if if it the moment it comes to the boil it um emulsifies so you've always got to just simmer it just just so it's barely agitating the surface of the liquid Otherwise, you get this nasty, claggy, sort of um, um, opaque liquid as opposed to the transparent liquid, which is what you But want. you created the liquid using chicken bones, did you? Or chicken... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you brown the chicken bones to, to, to a sort of a golden colour. Um, and then you you cook it in the slow cooker for for about... I, I, I do it for about four hours. But the point is, uh, we did we we haven't found a suitable place in the house for where the slow cooker goes because it, it it needs to sit on the surface somewhere, and all the surfaces in the kitchen are used. So as a as a compromise, we we, we did it in the laundry room, um, and I blithely unplugged this 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 thing from us from its socket and shoved in the slow cooker thing. Anyway, thought nothing of it. Yesterday. I got a deputation from wife and daughter saying, you have totally messed up. This is really bad. You have no idea what 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 the shit you're in. And it's all your fault. It's not our fault. It's your fault. So get that. And it turned out I had unplugged the freezer. So and the freezer had monkfish in it, which, you know, is really expensive. It had it had sort of bijou chicken from organic farms and it had loads and loads of chicken livers so i've had i had to spend the weekend trying to find a a recipe to put the put the monkfish in so i I could then refreeze it so i I did that now i've got to find a way of 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 dealing with the chicken livers i've got to do it's been a nightmare can you refreeze fish you you can you can refreeze this stuff once you've cooked it but what you can't do is freeze it and then let it thaw and then and then put it back in the freezer that's a no-no but i think you can refreeze stuff that you've cooked i'm i'm a complete fanatic when it comes to ice cream having melted and refrozen not just because that's quite bad for you but also because it tastes nothing like as good so i when i went through an ice cream phase i used to go into shops take a you know a tub of Hagendas out of the freezer um open it use the lid as a scoop scoop out a bit of the ice cream and taste it first to make sure it hadn't crystallized which is the sign that it's melted and refrozen which it quite oh. often has in shops because their freezers aren't that great yeah they power cuts or you know or they just let the ice cream melt when it's been delivered um and often i would taste it slightly crystalline and then say sorry mate this is melted and refrozen. It's a health hazard. It also tastes disgusting. You've got to take this off sale. Have you got anything that hasn't melted and refrozen, but is supposed to be in the condition you're supposed to sell it? And when uh, uh, my kids became so embarrassed 
about me doing this, that they've now yeah. refused to go into shops with me just in case I do it again. And quite often the shopkeepers would become quite agitated and unhappy after I'd um, uh, I imagine my health and safety inspector routine. <laughs> But I think yeah. it's a, I, I was proud of myself. I think it's too many shops sell ice cream in a condition which is not fit for sale. Well, also, can I say as a fellow dad that I'm I'm proud of your your embarrassing dad performance there, because this is the kind of stuff we did. This is how we roll. We would be failing <laughs> in our duty as parents if we did not really, really embarrass our children with these. James, I, I, you're going to be very, very proud of proud of me when I tell you this. I got an invitation to um, Founders Day at the West London Free School, the free school I helped set up, where, and it said, we want we want to um, say farewell to those students graduating at the end of year 11 and at the end of year 13. And I have a child in year 11 and a child in year 13. So I said to the head teacher, do you mind if I say a few words? Because I know they'll be there and I'll single them out and I'll talk about their experience in the school. And I might even make a few jokes about how I hoped, you know, it would be the kind of state equivalent of Eton or Winchester. And I expected to be discussing, you know, J.S. Mills on liberty at the dinner table and Tocqueville's democracy in America. And instead, it's, you know, Fortnite and Call of Duty. And really, my vision hasn't been fulfilled. I, anyway, I'm going to do my best to really embarrass them. And they're already absolutely terrified and talking about taking a sick day uh, anyway so that should be fun <laughs> well done well done um somebody somebody tweeted out what you and i are going to be talking about and the and how, how how the first part of this podcast is going to pan out obviously they, they couldn't have anticipated the freezer shock or the the incredibly exciting story of your tube journey but but I think they have made predictions about where it's going to go next. Are we going to do an ad before we before we go there? Or yeah, let's do that. Let's do an ad. I think it's your turn. Oh, in the minute I've been talking to you, sixteen hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. And now with Indeed, you only pay for quality applications that meet your criteria. Visit Indeed.com slash London to start hiring now. Just go to Indeed.com slash London. Indeed.com slash London. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per applicant uh, application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire, you need indeed. So, James, I, I'm imagining that this person um, predicted that we would discuss uh, the Lineker affair and may have yeah. even predicted what our take would be on the Lineker affair. So what yes. was the prediction? Well, the prediction that you were going to try and introduce this item as, as something of great moment. And I was going to say, now, nah, waste of time. Um, and then you were going to say, but no, it's about free speech. And I was going to say, no, it's not. Anyway, so tell, tell us about, go on, because yeah, I, I I know it's been dominating your thoughts, Tobes. Gary yes. Lineker. So, yeah. So um, for the benefit of our American listeners, um, Gary Lineker is a is is an ex-soccer player. He's like um, OJ Simpson, isn't he? He's, he's, he's a bit like OJ Except, yes, except his wife hasn't disappeared in mysterious circumstances. But yes, he's as famous in Britain as yeah, O.J. Yeah. Simpson is or was in the United States. And he 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 played in the England team, um, which did pretty well in um, Italia 90, which was a World Cup held in Italy in 1990. Um, Too much detail, Tobes. <laughs> anyway, so he's a national treasure and he presents this... Um, uh, the, the kind of BBC's flagship football commentary, football highlights program called Match of the Day. And he's been doing it for a couple of decades. Um, and um, he's a kind of he's 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 sort of latterly 
become a member of the kind of metropolitan liberal left and likes to advertise his um, lefty views on Twitter. And um, I think about three years ago, he got into a spot of difficulty because he is the BBC's highest paid presenter. He's a sort of the face of the BBC associated indelibly in everyone's minds with the BBC because he is the most well-known football pundit commentator presenter on the BBC um, and if three years ago he got into a bit of difficulty for I think attacking Brexit amongst other things and he agreed I think then um, when there was a bit of a row about it to uh, rein in his tweeting because the BBC have a policy whereby employees of the BBC um, are expected not to wade into matters of political controversy on social media um, because they think it brings the reputation of the BBC into disrepute um, uh, because the BBC is supposed to be impartial. It's funded by the taxpayer. It's not supposed to take sides. And the BBC is sort of understandably worried that if its employees are constantly advertising their political views, people yeah, the penny will drop that there is this kind of liberal left bias amongst the BBC staff, etc. Anyway, even though those rules don't apply to contractors, and Gary Lineker is a contractor, not an employee, nevertheless, he three years ago, I think, agreed to um, be more mindful about what he was tweeting, lest it endanger the BBC's reputation for impartiality. A week ago or so, um, he tweeted something rather intemperate about the government's new, I think, what's it called? Undocumented Migrants Bill, um, which um, or Illegal Migrants Bill, um, which is going to try and make it um, easier for the government to refuse asylum to um, asylum seekers who enter the country illegally. Uh, and this bill is currently going through Parliament and it's a it's it's something that Rishi Sunak has kind of gone all in on. He needs to do something about the small boats crisis. Um, uh, it's damaging the Conservative Party, particularly in swing seats in the Red Wall constituencies and so forth. Anyway, Gary Lineker compared uh, this policy to the treatment of various minorities, including Jews in Germany in the 1930s, i.e. it was reductio ad Hitlerium. Uh, it was a case of Every, everything you don't like, everyone you don't like, you've been compared to Hitler. It was an old left-wing trope. Anyway, he indulged in it. Lots of Tories and others got quite upset. Uh, and Tory MPs were demanding the BBC do something. And the BBC announced towards the end of last week that he would be stepping back from presenting Match of the Day um, uh, until uh, a, a social media policy that applied to um, him could be agreed. Uh, and there was a standoff. And the BBC, I think, hoped that um, various other people on their roster of football pundits would step in um, at, for Gary Lineker while he was absent. But they immediately all announced in solidarity with him, or at least one after the other in quite quick succession, that they would not do it. And so the BBC's football coverage, its sports coverage, has been severely truncated this weekend because all of their main commentators, pundits, presenters have, in solidarity with Gary, refused to do their normal jobs. Uh, and today, um, the BBC effectively backed down I think that the, 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 uh, not only did the BBC back down, but Tim Davey, the uh, director general of the BBC, apologised to viewers for having disrupted the sports coverage over the weekend and seemingly apologised for having mishandled this crisis. Uh, and Gary Lineker is going to be back next Saturday and he hasn't had to apologise. And he actually, when he announced that he was back, he added some more stuff about even though I've gone through a tough time in the past few days, it's nothing to the tough time that these poor refugees from conflict zones are suffering from. So he more or less doubled down on his political stance. No apology from him. He's unapologetic. And um, But I think the agreement is that the BBC is going to review its social media policy and is going to review in particular what the policy should be with respect to freelance contributors and contractors like Gary Gary Lineker. Um, so the BBC has effectively backed down. Um, and 
lots of people I mean what's interesting about it is that um lots of um people on Gary Lineker's side on this issue about small boats the illegal migration bill ha- have all kind of screamed free speech free speech he made these remarks outside the workplace uh, he's a sports commentator not a news and current affairs presenter um why is the BBC in any way penalising him for expressing his views outside the workplace on a matter which isn't related to the job he does for the BBC. Free speech, free speech. Where's the free speech union? Why haven't they stood up for Gary Gary Lineker? And we did indeed, you know, say that we thought it probably was a free speech issue. And um, if he wanted our assistance Mm -hmm. um, uh, and he did get into trouble, if he was sanctioned, he hasn't actually been sanctioned by the BBC and now the BBC have backed down. But if they did punish him for saying something outside the workplace about something unrelated to his work um you know if it was just a question if the bbc were claiming you're being punished because you brought the bbc into disrepute we would indeed offer him all assistance because we think that's too weak a standard and we see all the time people not necessarily the same political views as gary lineker getting into trouble with their bosses because of something they've said on social media outside the workplace which has supposedly brought the company into disrepute and we think that's too low a standard easily weaponized a bit nebulous uh, and it needs to be i think if if companies are going to be able to um, legitimately interfere with their employees or contractors' speech outside the workplace, the standard has to be much higher. The bar, the test has to be much more rigorous. And I think the company needs to show that what the person has said has actually caused the company tangible harm, i.e. financial loss, before they can legitimately interfere with what an employee says outside the workplace. So that's the sort of, that's our position. Uh, Anyway, it's it's now over, but it's all everyone is talking about. It's been dominating the front pages, dominating even the BBC's news headlines. Um, So it's been, um, you know, a real uh, water cooler moment, which is quite unusual these days. Uh, Is that right? I I just I was listening to you describe in in lavish detail this what sounds to me the most incredibly parochial story a storm in the teacup about I mean American listeners must be going well why do we care about any of this stuff this is this is a guy an ex sportsman who does some kind of sports show none of this matters Tobes and, and I I I was horrified well, horrified completely unsurprised to see this becoming the dominant story in the UK legacy media for a whole week. This nobody who, who, by the way, always says stuff like this. It's not like there was a, there was some special outrage that he committed. This is, this is how he rolls. Gary Lineker is like, partly he's like OJ Simpson because of his, you know, his, his, um, his desire to be black. Um, Partly, uh, or he's. He, I think he, he claimed once he got teased because of his olive-coloured skin at school. At school, he yes. To, he, yeah. he knew what it was like to be a victim yeah. of racial prejudice because yeah. even though he's a white man, he was teased for having olive-coloured skin at school, yeah. So so, so like like O.J. Simpson, he's got this sort of coffee-coloured skin, apparently. And, and um, but he... He, he's like the the bastard offspring of 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 OJ Simpson and I would say somebody like Piers Morgan. He's always coming up with maddeningly woke stuff. So you've got to ask yourself if you have any sense of what's going on in the world. Why is this complete non-story? Given that it could have been written about any day of his life ever in the last in the last fifteen or twenty years, ever since he became uber woke, why is this dominating the 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 news cycle now? And the answer is it's just more of the distraction. It's it's more distraction trying to you know, don't look don't look at the way that the government is taking away your freedoms or at the behest of the World Economic Forum. Don't look at, at the imminent imminent banking collapse. Don't look at look at um, the the government's insane green policies, which again at the at the, at the behest of the World Economic Forum and and beyond that a sort of sinister globalist um, elite which wants to use the environment to to res- take away our freedoms, drive up energy prices, take control of our lives. No, ignore all of that. Look at the Gary Lineker character. Look. He's this he's this this character that you all love to hate. He's like Mr. Punch. Oh, no. Maybe he's like the alligator that eats the sausages. It's just nonsense. And I'm so disappointed to see anyone, anyone who understands the state of the world being distracted by this complete non-story. It's just well, I silly. Suppose, I suppose to sort of um, 
help our American listeners understand why it's um, such a become such a lightning rod, such a controversial story receives such an enormous amount of coverage. Um, it's partly because um, uh, the BBC uh, is funded by a license fee that um, anyone who receives live television signals in the United Kingdom has to pay. So it's £157 a year, I think, now. And if you receive live television signals, even if you never watch the BBC, you have to shell out this £157 a year, which is described as a television licence. So effectively, you need a licence to watch television in this country, but 95% of the revenue raised goes to fund the BBC. Um, so if you can imagine in, the Ameri in America that um, you had to pay something close to $200 a year um, in order to watch television, um, and that 95% of the revenue raised went to fund CNN. And if a CNN sports pundit then said something very anti-Trump or very pro-Biden, um, uh, you know, on social media, I think some, particularly on the right, would be incensed because they're, they're thinking, you know, my hard-earned money is paying the wages of this person. He wouldn't have this platform were it not for his job at this organisation that I'm being forced to fund. And if if I'm being forced to fund it, I don't want this chap to express views which 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 I fundamentally disagree with. I want him yeah. to maintain a semblance of impartiality. I think that's why it's become such a kind of no, hot button. You're doing studio. you're doing right wing talking points again, Tobes. You're doing this is yeah you're you're following the narrative. This is the official reason. This is this is your designated role as a conservative commentator. It's to go well. This is this is disgraceful. The BBC is supposed to be impartial, and here's this man. And 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 look at look at Chris Packham, the the eco eco loon, eco Nazi guy who also gets gets unfettered um, rights to 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 sound off complete eco-fascist nonsense at at the license payers expense it, this is just this is not the reason the stories dominated the newspapers because it, it could have appeared any time in the last 15 years as i say the reason this is in the papers right now is because the papers are owned by the same people who are currently taking over the world turning you know implementing the new world order it's just the distraction it's another look at squirrel story it's got it has no validity to the lives of any real person at all we've just been we get told that it's a story because of the warped values of the news editors who decide to put it on the front page at the behest of their sinister overlords that's what it's about i think you're wrong james i think there is there is there is a lot of interest in this story uh, and it's a kind of and it, it's a kind of because it's a very polarizing story. Um, it cuts across two kind of uh, very prominent culture war issues, which are, you know, the BBC. Is it biased to the left? Should it be funded by licensed payers? And also immigration. What are we going to do to stop illegal immigration? Should we police our borders or not? So those are two huge culture war polarizing issues. OK, on that note, on that on that yeah. point, I, I agree about the the immigration thing it is why 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 are the are the, the the legacy media having the story on their front pages partly it is to give cover to the government the government has been absolutely bloody useless in doing anything at all about immigration so this enables the columnists who, who want to do their right-wing talking points to 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 notice that the government is apparently finally doing something. I mean, you've just given them cover there yourself. You've described how this is all to do with the government's new policy on immigration. They're trying to tighten up. The government is doing nothing of the kind. The government is, is perfectly happy for these boatloads of, of immigrants to come over here because ultimately they're being recruited as a police force to 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 um, to keep us crushed when, when the rebellion finally happens in a few years' time. They're being put in hotels all, all around britain to suppress the result and they and presumably they've been chosen because they're going to have less loyalty to the british people than 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 the the army might so they're they're basically a mercenary army uh, and suppose, james you you sort of you know you accuse me of just kind of um trotting out you know on cue these um right-wing talking points and being a kind of 
patsy for you yeah know, you are the, the you totally the, are the conspiracy we'll come to that a bit more later on but as well we we'll talk about it, last week's episode but but aren't yeah. you slightly worried that you sound a bit like a broken record i mean you say this week in week out and it's like haven't you got anything else i think that's only the first time i've said that particular line about the uh, uh, look if something is true it's worth restating toby i it's better than sort of restating propaganda every week which is what you do, basically. I don't think. I don't think. You just, think you, just, you, just you just you just repeat repeat mainstream media talking points, which I don't accept. I think they're a waste of everyone's time. But it's it's it, sometimes I'm just trying to discuss the stories in the news, and you know. Yeah, but what is how... the new? What is this thing? The news that you talk about. The, the news is 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 the creation of, of of sinister interests. It's not. It's not. It's not objective. It doesn't exist but objectively. I, you, it is curated. You know, you know, James. I remember that it used to be people used to think on the left that um, newspapers were conspiring to instill false consciousness in the masses in order to uh, obscure from them that it was in their interest to revolt or to vote Labour uh, or to strike or whatever it was, that it was all part of a capitalist right-wing conspiracy to distract people with bread and circuses from their real interests as members of the proletariat and the and, and the standard response back then i remember um was well you've clearly never worked in the media because if you did work in the media you would realize that the number one priority which trumps everything else is the news agenda what what newspaper editors and journalists are really interested in and newspaper owners who want to sell copies and attract advertisers is 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 publishing news breaking news breaking stories coming up with an interesting new angle on a story that that dominates everything that trumps everything else they might in the deep background can if you have an interest in wanting to preserve capitalism and wanting to kind of dissuade you know activists from striking but that plays very much second fiddle to the dominant thing which is the news agenda it doesn't the same counter argument apply here you think it's now all part of a vast left-wing conspiracy or progressive conspiracy to you know immiserate us and force i don't us believe in i don't believe in either i don't believe in either left or right you've worked for newspapers you know that, that, that i don't believe the, the yeah. big uh, thing do you know what i've never ever worked in newspapers in the in the shaming period i'm happy to say when the government became the number one number one funder of newspapers the amount of money that the government pumped or of, of our money that the government pumped in on our behalf to this disgusting legacy media industry so that it could put out propaganda, pro-vaccine propaganda. So it would pump, pump the narrative that children should get, get jabbed with these, with these, these clot shots that, that, that scared us into thinking the pandemic was real, that, that, that put out nonsense stories about some old bloke called Captain Tom wandering around the garden on his, on his Zimmer frame that pumped out stories, propaganda stories about the NHS. This was paid for by us. We were funding propaganda. It was also funded by Bill Gates, who gave three, three and a half million dollars to the, to the Telegraph. There has never been the time in my life, I, mean, I think the media has always been corrupt, but there's never been a time in our lives where the media has been quite so corrupt. So everything it everything it pushes everything it gets pushed now in the media is actually not in the interests of the reader. It is not it, it is not simply this this pure news agenda where the, the papers cover whatever the most exciting story is. It is well, I think it, it's it part, always a hidden agenda. I think it may be because you you yourself have been sort of out of the newspaper business for some time. Um you may think that, you know, if someone comes up with an interesting news story a scoop uh, the editor says never mind that our job is to pump out propaganda because that's what our well, that's certainly true in the case do. of vaccines isn't it they're not reporting on that for example well you always we had that argument we've had i think we had that argument i know and you come up with the feeblest of excuses you say I oh yeah, but they have that they have well they have they have been you know it's not that vaccine injuries have been completely ignored there is some reporting of vaccine injuries um and, you know, um, do you not think it's a big deal some, that more millennials some... in America, for example, have been killed by by vaccines than died in the in the, in the Vietnam War? And the Vietnam War was that there was 12 years of, of deaths in the Vietnam War. This happened in the space of what? Uh, two quarters. What's you your, think what's your... you think that's a big, big, a big what's deal. Your, what's your source there, James? Oh, a doubt is, is, has been been looking at this. I haven't seen uh, that. 60,000 60, people. 
60,000 millennials have died from vaccine injuries. I mean, you ought to be on top of this, James. It is, after all, what your site does. And one of the things it does, it talks about about that, uh, the, the alleged pandemic, about COVID and stuff. Yeah, well, I think we, we, we certainly have been um, not skimping on covering um, vaccine injuries. Um, and we, you know, we've been doing it, I think, more vigorously. Oh, Tobes, come on, else. last week, last week, you actually said that I'd overstated vaccines. I mean, a lot of people were very upset by this. They said, why is Toby Toby actually retrenching? He, he, he actually is taking a step back from, he, you seem to be moving to a, a state of enlightenment. And then you were saying that I'd overstated vaccine injuries, so they weren't such an issue. Well, I, mean, I said that, that about? I, 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 well, I pointed out that um, if you tried to find a pattern between excess deaths in different countries and how many vaccines had been rolled out per capita in those countries, it was actually quite, it's quite difficult to find a signal in the, in the noise. For instance, you know, Sweden had a pretty extensive vaccine rollout. It's a pretty well vaccinated population, yet it has the lowest or among the lowest excess deaths uh, of any European country over the past three years or so. Um, so it, it, it is, Ron Unz has written extensively. Yeah, about, Ron Unz, who, who you described as a vaccine sceptic. Ron Unz was, was heavily, is not a vaccine sceptic. You've gone and picked somebody actually, who's, you're, you're cherry picking now. Well, I'm not sure. No, I, I wasn't, I wasn't you claiming. Are. Ed I'm Dowd not, is, getting, not... is getting this data from insurance companies in America. This stuff is, is, is not beyond, is, is, is beyond reasonable doubt. This is vaccine injuries. And you're just, you're just basically making excuses on behalf of, of, of Big Pharma, it seems to me. I'm, I'm, I'm not making excuses, but I'm just, I think we have to be very careful um, because we don't want yeah, to right. be discredited by um, uh, too easily. I think you've done that already. Uh, well, you think you've, I have you've auto discredited? I, I, I don't agree with you about everything. Anyway, should we hear from another one of our sponsors? I think so. Yeah. So, James, let's do a plug for our newish sponsor, Sal Daha, CFA, a listener in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Sal is Team Toby and backs the FSU, but not QPR. Sal is frequently amused by the Delling Pod. So check out Sal's podcast, Angel Invest Boston. It's mostly on building technology startups, but it's not all about business. Sal also delves into other aspects of human flourishing, such as creativity, good relationships and healthy aging. Listeners, do you want to get rich and pass money to your kids? Listen closely to Sal's podcast with Harvard Business School prof Howard Stevenson. Titled Wealth and Families, it offers condensed wisdom delivered with dry humour and charm from the heart of the investing world. Do follow Angel Invest Boston on your podcast app and leave a rating and a written review to help it get found. Okay, should we talk about the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank, James? We should. We should. Um, did you have any money in them? Uh, uh, no, I did. Did you have any money in the Silicon Valley Investment Bank? Well, well, sort of. Yeah, I mean, in in as much as um, my brother's company banks with them, and and he right. he went through some very nasty moments. And I asked him about this. I said, "Why did you bank with with this particular bank?" And he said, "What you don't realize is that most of the big name banks, you know, Lloyd's or HSBC or whatever." will not will not lend money to startups they're not they, they've already got got enough money um you know they've already got enough clients they're not interested whereas silicon valley bank was a specialist in the tech sector so loads and loads and loads of people in the tech sector are going to have had a very frightening few days as they've wondered whether their whether their cash flow is going to whether they're going to be able to pay their staff and stuff it's a bit frightening um what's what's odd about the um or perhaps it isn't odd i'm sure you've got an explanation but what's odd about the collapse of these financial services companies um is that the people running them often the people using their services the people on the board are when it comes to things like the risk of not locking down uh, the risk of catastrophic climate change, the risk posed by 
allowing people to have free and open discussions on university campuses, they are incredibly risk averse. They are safety first. Uh, they catastrophize all the time and unnecessarily um, about um, risks that are actually pretty slight materializing when it comes to, you know, social policy, um, uh, uh, climate policy, uh, health policy. But when it comes to actually managing risk within their own risk within their own institutions, they appear to be, you know, like cowboys in the Wild West, completely kind of oblivious to the kind of existential threats posed by practices within their own company. I mean, it turns out that the Silicon Valley Bank um, operated without a chief risk officer between April 2022 and January 23. And the chief risk officer in Europe, Africa and the Middle East uh, described herself as a queer person of colour from a working class background and seemed to be obsessed with organising LGBTQ initiatives such as a month long pride campaign um, and implemented a safe space catch up policy for staff. Um, much more obsessed with, you know, minimising the risk to vulnerable members of staff, uh, the risk of being unconsciously discriminated against or whatever it might be, um, uh, but completely seemingly, you know, oblivious to the existential financial risks um, threatening the well-being of the Silicon Valley, Valley Bank. How do you explain this, James? Well, what, what you're describing there is, is, a, is a symptom. It's, it's, it's not it's not the cause that um, by a symptom what i mean is that that in the last few years there has been as you know increasing pressure on companies all across the world for esg government you know environmental and social um, responsibility and and so they have to embrace all these diversity causes because otherwise companies like blackrock which have been been um cheerleading for, for for this people like larry fink can, can barely stop talking about it have been essentially imposing on companies these requirements that that you know we will not invest in you we will not we will not buy your stock um uh institutional investors will not own you unless you have x number of black disabled um transvestites on your on your on your on your workforce and this this has infected everything so the fact that, that that this bank has various diversity offices is is not indicative of of, of the attitudes which led to its collapse that that's just the distraction in fact that's that if you like is the conservative talking point about about this bank oh look Get woke, go broke. That that would be the be the sort of the headline, uh, the right wing talking point take on this. But it's not about that. What what it's really about is is that um, over over successive uh, through successive crises, the people who should be dealing with these problems have been kicking the can down the road. So, in the in the case of Silicon Valley Bank, uh, the reason that this was an accident waiting to happen was that that a, a, a few years ago after the last financial crisis the the fed pumped loads of the, the us government pumped loads of money into into the banks which they were then forced to um I, I, i'm paraphrasing dan tubb by the way he was my one of my financial expert advisors he's, he's done a very good few good podcasts about this um that the banks were, had all this money that they, they, they were hosed down with money, but they had to do something with it. So what they did uh, was 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 end up buying buying um, federal uh, bond notes, and the problem is that these these notes have dropped massively in 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 value recently because of the the ongoing financial crisis. Which means that these these banks have been the, the, the Silicon Valley Bank was trying to offload this this toxic debt, and was was selling for lower than it paid for this this stuff, and it got it got called out. It sort of triggered a triggered a, a panic, which led to the situation it's in now. And, and now it looks like the the government, the U.S. government, or the or the Federal Reserve is 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 claiming that it's going to 
going to solve the problem without the taxpayer being on the hook. But this is just just continuation financial crisis. I mean, this is this is the real stuff. There's going to be a run on the banks. So you, you, you've seen that in the, in the last 24 hours, bank stocks have dropped by 16%, which doesn't suggest to me that the, the 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 banking sector is 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 repaired or, or or shored up in any way. I think we're we're going to get cascading problems like this, whether it's whether it's the the banking sector or whatever whatever next is is going to be the victim. Um, are you does it, do you do you still are you still a bit of a gold bug? Do you still have yes. um, gold yeah. reserves, as it were? Is some of yeah. your money in gold? Oh, anyone who who's not got at least five percent of their their wealth in physical gold and silver um, is is um, needs their head examined. Yeah, definitely. And you, you don't keep it in your home, presumably. Um, it's not you don't. Your well, well, you've got two options with 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 bullion. Either you have it for trading when you know buying chickens or whatever or or i don't know um guns when 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 the financial system collapses and 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 it's i mean you ought to have some but 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 of course there are risks you know where do you store it and what happens when gangs come around your house with and, and say right give us all your money we know you've got gold we know we know you've got silver uh the other way of storing it is because you don't you don't want paper gold and you don't want paper silver that's 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 worthless uh the other other ways is storing it in a vault but the problem with storing it in a vault is a you get charged on um a storage fee but but b we know from the history of fdr when he took america off 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 gold or rather when he when he when, when he confiscated um individual gold holdings um was that any anyone who had their money in a, a vault in the US would not be able to get it out because they they even had metal detectors making sure that people went into their into their private vaults and tried to come out with their 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 coins so their pockets stuffed with gold coins they were going to get the nicked on the way out so you've the added complication you've got to store your gold in a country that you don't live in um otherwise yeah, it's it, it, it's tricky, but these are tricky times. Okay. By the way, crypto cryptos have done very well recently. Bitcoins really? okay. up, Bitcoins okay. up fifty fifteen percent in the last in the last twenty four hours. Do you have? Do you still have some Bitcoin as well? Yeah, I like I like cryptos. I like Bitcoin. Okay, so um, should we have um, one more ad and then go to culture corner? Is there anything else we need to discuss in the kind of meat of the program, as it were, before we get on to more? trivial stuff uh, I, one thing no, i want to think... say james is that um uh, you probably missed this but um suella braverman the home secretary the beleaguered home secretary um uh whom gary lineker dislikes so much um she uh published some new guidance this morning um which will regulate um how the police uh, record and retain non-crime hate incident data, um, which is very important, and it's something the Free Speech Union has been campaigning for for something like three years, and um, uh, and it's a it's a huge step forward for free speech, a massive victory, a big win. Um, uh, for, for for those unfamiliar with non-crime hate incidents, it sounds like you know something out of 1984, but 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 they're real. So in 2014, the College of Policing issued guidance to police forces in England and Wales that um, if someone was um, if someone claimed someone else um, was guilty of um, hateful conduct um, the police would investigate it and if they concluded that no crime had been committed they would record it and the College of Policing said police forces have to record it as a non-crime hate incident and um, non-crime hate incidents um, uh, can show that they're, they're sort of attached to your record. And if a future employer does an enhanced criminal records check when you apply for a job, uh, they can show up uh, and it can mean you not getting a job. So effectively, you cannot get a job. You can be penalized because 
you committed a non-crime, according to the police, and this info is attached to your record. Uh, anyway, so it obviously has a very chilling effect on free speech. It's a gold-embossed invitation to political activists and religious zealots uh, to uh, try and enlist the help of the police in silencing their opponents, and they've done that very successfully. We estimate that something close to a quarter of a million NCHIs have been recorded in England and Wales alone since um, 2014, which is an average of more than 66 per day. You wonder why, you know, if you get burgled or if your car's broken into, the police won't bother to investigate. They'll just give you a crime reference number. It's because they're too busy following up complaints by trans activists that they've been misgendered on Twitter by gender critical feminists. You know, they're too busy policing our tweets to police our streets. Um, it really is shocking how much police time and resources are spent investigating non-crimes and how few, <laughs> how, how little resources and time is spent investigating actual crimes. Anyway, so we've been campaigning against this for a long time and this new guidance published today, it's actually a draft code of practice which is going to be put put before both houses of parliament but it, it will it will severely limit the circumstances in which the police can record something as a non-crime incident it'll stop the police recording anything involving a school child as a non-crime hate incident which is um one of the problems with the kind of nchi protocol anyway it's, it's a huge step forward and we were very pleased and if anyone wants to find out more about it um they can we, we we've stuck a a sort of um a, a, a something about it on the front page of the free speech union website www.freespeechunion.org so you see james it is possible to win these free speech victories slowly but surely uh, you can occasionally if you really persist and you're methodical about it and you go about it in a fairly pragmatic, politically enlightened yeah, way, I don't like that can word bring pragmatic. about important changes. I really okay. don't like that word pragmatic. And I, and I, I, I mean, it was on this, but I don't, I don't agree with your, your gradualist approach. I think that they're all over us. But anyway, um, shall we, um, which, which sponsor are we going to do Dan now? Gaskin. Dan Gaskin. Ah, spring is in the air. It's almost the end of the financial year. But did you know that the spring budget is coming on the 15th and the some might say controversial help to buy scheme ends on the 31st of March? If you didn't, you need to meet Dan Gaskin, fellow skeptic, free thinker, father of six, husband of one and owner of Crest Mortgages. Dan is an ex-Royal Navy warfare officer who has driven ships, spies companies and helps people with financial conundrums because he genuinely enjoys looking after people. Nothing motivates Dan more than bringing fellow skeptics financial good cheer. Whether you're Team, Dobe, team Toby or Team James, for help with your house move, commercial mortgage, equity release, life assurance, or simply to talk through a financial issue that is vexing you, in complete confidence, call 0116-502-3000. Visit crestmortgages.co.uk and connect with Dan linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash dan gaskin we have to say this bit to be fca compliant crest mortgages is a trading style of epiphany investments limited which is an appointed representative of the open work partnership a trading style of open work limited which is authorized and regulated by the financial conduct authority your house may be repossessed if you do not keep up with repayments on your mortgage right well done james um so um uh can I quickly just take this opportunity to advertise for someone to help out on the Daily Skeptic? So we're looking for someone to cover for Will Jones, our editor, our editor um, at the weekends and um, uh, when he's on holiday. Um, so it's quite an important job. I think the title will be associate editor. And I think we're looking for someone who can work for us for two and a half days a week so 0.5 fte it's um properly paid there are benefits if anyone is interested in working for the daily skeptic helping us produce our newsletter day in day out um please get in touch best way to contact us is the daily skeptic at gmail.com that's the daily skeptic at gmail.com so culture corner oh yeah 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 oh well i'll tell you what i did watch the other day um on the disney channel it's this thing called finding michael okay it's called finding michael um and i don't know whether you ever watch um 
um, have you ever seen Made in Chelsea? Oh, um, I think I may have seen sort one of reality the... show where sort of augmented reality. Yeah, yeah, aug- augmented reality. Okay, so there's this this character on it called Spencer Matthews. Yep, um, and his brother, his big brother, died on Everest, having become the youngest Englishman to summit Everest, and he made it to the top, age twenty two, but didn't make it down. And anyway. This is about Spencer. It starts off with somebody having given Spencer Matthews this this grainy photograph of what might be his brother's body on Mount Everest, and he thinks, "Well, this is my chance to get <laughs> to get Disney Plus to fund a major expedition." Because I mean, they're really expensive these the, right. the expeditions to to Everest, and and. It, Bear Grylls inevitably makes an appearance because it turns out that he knew he knew this 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 kid Michael Matthews and was a great admirer of his because Bear Bear did Everest as well didn't he when he was quite young and it's it's really watchable as as things about Everest tend to be I mean I I have no desire to climb Mount Everest but especially not after watching this thing because I think one in seven people who, who climb Everest die. Mm. Um, well, one, in the, one in seven of the people who summit, presumably, presumably because they're so desperate to for the last push. They don't really yeah, care. Yeah, they've they got that far. And even though they're yeah. advised by their Sherpas not to go yeah. any further, but to try again next year, they think, sod that. I've come this far. I've made this much effort. I've spent this much. I'm going to go the final few yeah. yards. And then they end up dying of oxygen deprivation. Exactly. Which is why I'm not going to climb Everest for that for that very reason. Because I know I'd be one of the stupid gits who just goes, no, I don't care. I don't care. I, the main thing is I've got to get the, the best view in the world, even if I die. And I, and I, and, and I would. You, you would. But you, you, one of the things you realise watching this documentary is that Everest is littered with bodies, littered with unrecovered bodies. And you, you can't get them down because although I, 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 I Google this to check, on one occasion in history, a helicopter has actually gone to the top of Everest. But mostly the, the, the bit above the, above the death zone, which are above 8,000 feet, it's just it's not safe for helicopters to land because it does things to their engines and stuff and their aer- aerodynamics and etc so the bodies are just left there and they get so frozen with ice that they 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 end up three times heavier than they would be in in, in were they not frozen so you've got this this frozen heavy lump and people, you know, you need an oxygen tank at that 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 that, um, that height to be able to just survive, let alone operate. So you can see it's quite a big deal. Anyway, it was interesting. Interesting. I I I'd kind of recommend it. Okay, finding Michael. So I'm I've I've I'm I've got further along with uh, Fleischman is in trouble, um, which is oh, yeah. about more the, New York sex. For, yeah, for New York sex. Our age. Yeah, and it's 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 kind of. It's 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 televisual sex, which is acceptable to the woke because it's um, the women um, uh, are all in their 40s and 50s and they've got kind of unusual body shapes and they're certainly not what you or I would describe as conventionally attractive. So it's sort of supposedly, you know, it broadens your mind. It it, it promotes body positivity um, to actually have to watch this kind of woke sex um uh, anyway so you have, you have to avert your eyes quite often i find um but um and it it, it, it but it, but it's pretty entertaining it's not bad it's watchable i think i'm going to make it through to the end which i, I can't always say about right. about the uh, new new series i embark on but it, it's not bad the, the the best thing in it james i think i said was the his this so it's about this uh, jewish doctor in his 40s who is divorced by his ambitious wife and they have two kids and the wife neglects the kids dumps them with him and um and the best character in it is his kind of unbelievably unpleasant prima donna-ish 
10-year-old daughter who just doesn't who's embarrassed by him because he's not nearly as rich as her friend's parents at this kind of posh elite upper east side private school she's attending um but but she's disappeared she's the kids have been packed off to camp rather conveniently so uh, they haven't featured in the last couple of episodes so it's slightly slightly taken a dip i think i really like the 10-year-old girl um she's a very entertaining character and the interaction between her and the father is very good so it's a shame that she she's she's dipped out of the last couple of episodes uh i i watched another football thing i i, I don't want to know the result but i bet you know about this i didn't know about this that that wrexham yeah football club was was bought by american actor yeah ryan reynolds ryan reynolds and the one from it's always sunny in philadelphia yeah um there's a documentary about it have you seen it yeah i've i've seen it yeah i I've, well i've seen i've seen most of that documentary i don't want to know what happens i don't want to know what happens okay. does it does it stay good yeah it's pretty entertaining isn't it i find i find the kind of pandering to everything welsh slightly irritating and they're sort of presenting the welsh as a kind of you know indigenous persecuted minority a kind of colonized um uh country um which is the victim of english colonial oppression just like the united states and there's a kind of that 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 dimension i don't know if you've picked up on that but that kind of fetish fetishization of welsh culture and the welsh language is um, well toby you're talking to a descendant of owen owen de la pole prince of poets so obviously i'm going to be take kind of take a kind of pro-welsh line yeah, I, I, you, you English oppressors. <laughs> yeah, well, whatever. I mean, I think they're just playing up to the American audience, aren't they? It's, yeah, um... but but it is quite entertaining, and it, it's 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 eye-opening how much the football club means to the kind of the the townsfolk of Wrexham, isn't it? It's, yeah, I I I think it's sad that all over Britain there are towns like Wrexham, which were once great. You know, thriving, thriving towns with their own culture and stuff and their own loyalties. And they've just been ruined by the, well, in that case, by the close, closure of the mining industry, I suppose. There's lots there's lots like that, aren't there? Yeah. Lots in the and, North and, as well. And as, as kind of, as all the institutions and traditions and customs which provided the local people with a sense of community, of belonging, as they've been hollowed out, the only thing left is the football club, which is why football clubs mean so much to the residents of these towns and cities across the United Kingdom. Even though those two are a form of bread and, bread and circuses mind control. I mean, we won't go there now, but I would argue that the, 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 the industrial decline was all, was all created by the same people who are now running down the, the world. Um, I can't, I can't, um, uh, I can't resist this opportunity, James, to tell you about um, uh, my most recent trip to Queens Park Rangers at the weekend. So um, QPR are going through an incredibly bad streak. Um, so um, before the game on Saturday, they'd only won once in the previous twenty games, and um, we just one manager left about one third of the way through the season we hired a new manager he won his first game lost the next 11 so he was dismissed we hired a third manager our third manager of the season gareth ainsworth a former qpr player done quite well with another team in the league below sort of untested in the championship and um, he's come in he lost his first two games we conceded three goals in each of those games it didn't look like he was making much of an impact and we were heading towards the relegation zone James circling the drain looked like we'd end the season being relegated to League One which is a disaster for a football yeah. club League One is very hard to get out of once you're in it um, and um, it looked like everything was just going pear-shaped but on Saturday we actually won a game the second game we've won in what is now 21 games and we beat Watford who were relegated from the Premier League at the end of last season so they've got this big balloon payment they've got some really good 
Premier League quality players. They've just got a new manager. When teams bring in a new manager, they usually get what's called a new manager bounce. Um, so we thought it was going to be a nailed-on victory for promotion-chasing Watford, who are far above us in the table. But through sheer dogged determination and by playing our socks off and by playing as a team and not as a bunch of pampered individuals, um, we actually managed to beat them which was incredible and I was particularly pleased because my son Ludo um, was celebrating his 18th birthday and he'd invited his girlfriend and his three closest friends so you know it would have been humiliating if we'd been beaten again conceded three goals again but no in front of his girlfriend and his friends QPR for once actually performed and when QPR win at Loftus Road their home their home ground um uh, Jeff Beck's high ho silver lining is played on the kind of stadium PR PA system. And to hear that song again, James, I think for the first time in something like 150 plus days, we only play it when we win at home. To hear it again, I didn't think I'd hear it again this season. The emotion I felt, James, on hearing high ho silver lining ringing out across the stadium again was uh, overwhelming. So it was a fantastic day, set me up for the whole of the weekend. And I just hope it's the beginning of a turnaround and we can go on a little run now and win our next few games. We need to win two more games, I think, to secure our safety. It won't be guaranteed even if we do win two more games, but I think if we win two more games, that'll be enough points to see us through to the end of the season without being relegated. Uh, it's, it's always good to give the podcast a happy ending, <laughs> if that's what it is. Now, what... Um, do I, I'm going to do another advert. What about the um, yeah, the I'll do, I'll, I'll, well, yeah, after you've left us, James, I will read the okay. final one. So you don't need to hang around for that. Okay, good. Well, then um, that's it. All right. Okay, See James, good to talk to you. And okay. uh, yeah, we'll talk this week. I hope you feel less um, congested, fluey, oh, yeah, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Okay, right. All right, bye. So our final ad today is for The Jasmine Sari, a terrorism thriller by Philip Tucker. Just listen to these reviews. A real humdinger of a thriller. I can't recommend it highly enough. Timely, topical, with the current state of the world we live in. Comprehensively and movingly inverts the whole sterile establishment frame debate on terrorism. It's The Jasmine Sari by Philip Tucker, and it's available on Amazon now. This is what people are saying about it. Proves that outstanding fiction can speak about the bigger truths more eloquently than can factual reporting. You can taste the dust and smell the air of Bangladesh. A stunning finale that left me virtually breathless. An entertaining and explosive race against time which kept my eyes glued to the page. Great stuff. Buy The Jasmine Sari by Philip Tucker on Amazon. As one newspaper put it, this is a startlingly adroit, angry and astute political thriller. The Jasmine Sari gets it, and you should get it too. This is London Calling. Ricochet. Join the conversation.